Okay, let's do it. Okay, Perik Bey is the Bava Metziah. So in the second chapter of Bava Metziah, Amru, they said, Amru Sham, She'en Tzarech L'Hachzer HaVeda, Okay, the Gemara in Bav Metziah tells us uh, extensive discussions. Actually, for many children, this is the first Gemara they learn. Okay, Elo Metzias. My son right now is learning this, and we're going every day. There you go. There you go. And this is everything. Right? Right? Well, no. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yush, yush. That's right. So the, the halacha is, you don't have to return an object if there is yush. What is yush? Yush is uh, some la- s- element of losing hope. When the owner loses hope, you're allowed to keep the object. Again, the Gemara goes into an extensive discussion when the yush, when the relinquishment of hope has to take place. We're not going to get into that. But the basic principle is that if you have an object and you know, you know that the owners relinquished hope, you're allowed to keep that object. That's what the Gemara says, okay? So again, tons of details to this. We're not going to get into it. I would actually argue, just as an important side point, the laws of returning lost objects are probably the, one of the most uh, often uh, uh, violated laws, you know? Because think, you know, they're, 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 you know, we walked through the streets and we have a halach if you find an object, Okay, it's a little politically incorrect, but depends on the area. If it's a Jewish area, the, op- the obligation is a different obligation than it is if not. Okay, and bottom line is out, this area is a Jewish area. You walk down the street and you see a lost object. And what do most people do? Uh, if you find a wallet, you'll pick it up. But most things, we walk by. We walk by. You, you violate a negative prohibition. Okay, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. Okay, but that's, that's a sidebar. The point is that the halacha is that if there's yish, if the owner loses hope, you're allowed to keep it. Vidavr, that's the end of the Gemara. Vidavr is near Livnei Adam, Rachok. This seems very distant, very foreign, uh, very foreign to people. Sheikach Adam Eshe'eno Shalo. That a person is to take something which doesn't belong to them. In other words, they could find something on the floor. It's an expensive item. But based on, again, a number of considerations, I could, I could know for a fact, or I could safely assume, Halacha would tell me, I could safely assume that the owners gave up hope. Even though I know it's not mine, I never toiled for it. And I'm, so to speak, like being uh, envious, I'm being jealous of someone else's, I'm not literally being jealous, but I'm, I'm basically taking someone else's money. This is not in line with what we call like the rules of social etiquette. Because social etiquette would tell you, if someone said, if you know for a fact that this belongs to someone else, it would, social etiquette would tell you, Laws of society, and again, maybe not legal laws, but of course, you return it. Uh, you're obligated to return the object even after the owner lost hope. Okay, so what he's going to address today, it's a short, shorter piece, uh, is this particular troubling passage. Again, part of what we're doing is going through a number, not going through every troubling passage, it would take us forever, but going through a number of tra- troubling passages to try to show what at first glance seems uh, incorrect, seems wrong, seems even immoral, backwards, bizarre, and showing the chachma, showing the wisdom that exists been behind it. So this is one of such laws which the critics of quote-unquote rabbinic Judaism would have, and that is that there was, and, and you should know, much of what he's writing is in, in direct response to pamphlets and, and booklets that were written during his time. So oftentimes, if you look at uh, Rabbi Hartman has a beautiful commentary on the Maharal, um, and, and he'll oftentimes quote, you know, this quoted in this book that was written, you know, in that era, and he's responding to it. So sometimes when you wonder why he's picking this example, not that example, this may not be the most troubling thing for you and I, but this was, you know, he's, it's a, it's a, he's writing it for his 
people. He's writing this a few hundred years ago when this was something, a criticism that was leveled. Okay. So he says like this, These were criticisms among Jews? Among Jews. Among Jews, yes. These were among Jews who were, you know, we talk about... Uh, Reformate, you know, the, the whole notion of, uh, you know, these were, yeah, these were among Jews. Some of them were not Jews, but some of them were among Jews. Um, and there were critics of Judaism from within. And this is before the reform movement and all that. But, and again, you didn't have people necessarily developing a movement at that point, but you had, you had critics from within. Absolutely. Vesibazos, second paragraph. The reason for this. Kidasani, now he's going to make a general point, a general distinction between social etiquette and halacha, or Torah. He says like this, Das hanimusis mechayev davar lasos olam. If you were to uh, philosophically explain, where does, what is the basis, what is the foundation of social etiquette? You would say it's to ensure a healthy society. Tikkun olam in its original form is not building homes for the habitat, which is important in and of itself. I'm not downplaying that. But, but Tikkun Olam is how the world could function to, to ensure that you and I are able to, to go outside and, you know, you left your bags in the train station and, and you had those bags. They, they were still there when you came back. That's, you know, that's Tikkun Olam. That's, that's people recognize that, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to allow these things to stay. I'm not going to touch them. And there's a sense of trust. If you ask me for directions when you're lost, you'll probably, you could assume for the most part, you're going to get the right directions, right? People are, are so those, those are, uh, whatever, they'll be well-meaning for the most part. Most, again, most people, you don't assume, are going to maliciously tell you the wrong directions. That's all tikkun olam. That's all to ensure the stability and the betterment of society. Even if it's not logical, right? Even if it's not necessarily predicated on philosophical truths, but it's about the focus of social etiquette is ensuring that society is able to function in a, in a healthy fashion. And because of that, because the focus is on the betterment of society, there are times when that will uh, necessitate a certain level of stringency. Even though, logically, even though if you were to you'd be using pure reason, you would say, I don't have to do this, but for the betterment of society, I'm going to do so. And there are times when societal needs are going to be more lenient. When things are not needed for the betterment of society. Even though it might not be true or fit and appropriate, according to logic. A great example of this, you know, the end of the Ten Commandments, the end of the Seres Adibros, uh, which, you know, there's a lot of discussion why God chooses those to be the quote-unquote top ten. But one of them is Los Sachmor. Right? You can't be, you can't covet someone else's belongings. Okay? Some say you're only violent if you actually put it into practice, but others say no. Just simply the thought, simply coveting someone else's things, that is illegal. Now, that doesn't fit within when we think of like American society or most countries, you know, their their rules, that seems bizarre. No, you know, that's not in the constitution. Don't don't covet. Who cares? It's in your own walls. I don't know harm. You know, it's yeah, I'm not, but also, it's, it's not a behavior. And even if it was a behavior, even if I was doing something, but if it didn't harm anyone, who cares? If I do something in the confines of my own home, right? Um, so from the perspective of American law, typically, that's not a problem. That's not a problem. If I do it outside and it's going to bother people, et cetera, et cetera, that's a different story, right? Meaning, you know, hate speech. If I go ahead and keep a diary where I write terribly racist and misogynist and, and anti-Semitic things, it's a diary. It's, it's kept. Can I be arrested? Can I be charged in, in American law? Of course not, right? It's my own screed. It's my own writing. It's no problem, right? But Tikkuna Olam would say, if I go and publish that online, okay, it's a different story because that's when I start to interact with others. So Tikkun Olam, the way, and this is the way all legal systems are predicated on society. 
Tikkun Olam, even though would someone tell you that it's ethical to write racist, misogynist, uh, anti-Semitic uh, things? No. I think most people on our side would say there's something wrong with writing it, but it's still not illegal because Tikkun Olam would say, that's fine. Seichel, right? Meaning Tikkun Olam would say, as long as I'm not harming anyone, okay, fine, you're a Meshuggah, fine, you want to do this, that's fine. Right? Meaning, again, our legal system, which is predicated on this type of principle, would say, okay, it's wrong. We'd say it's immoral. There's something wrong, you know, intrinsically wrong with you, but it's, it's not against Tikkun Olam and therefore it's not illegal. So, right? So he's just trying to, to demonstrate that difference that there's, there are things which are Tikkun Olam, there are things which are about society, which again, most of our legal system is predicated on. Judaism, as, 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 as indicated by laws like Losach mode, which is more about what's right. Is it right to be jealous? No, it's not right. And therefore I can't do it. Is it right to think, is it right to say something inappropriate? It's not. And therefore, even if uh, a person, uh, you know, uh, uses foul language in a forest and no one's there to hear it, from a halachic perspective, from a Torah perspective, there's still something wrong, right? So that is lefi hasecha, right? So you see that distinction, right? One is tikkun olam, one is societal, and one is lefi hasecha. Okay, with that principle, let's jump in. Lekach tzarech, therefore we need, lefi das hanemusis, according to societal needs, lekach tzarech achar yush bal haveda. You'd have to return the object after, even after the owner relinquishes hope. V'davar zehu chumra, but as we'll see, it's a stringency. V'chein lehepech. And the same would be true on the opposite. Let's see what he means. If a person finds something very valuable, okay, very valuable, and not only you find it, and then you put up signs, and you put uh, notices in the local papers, mm-hmm. you wait a year or two, no one comes around for it. Mm-hmm. Right? Societal, from a societal perspective, okay, I did my part, I tried to be a good citizen, I keep it. There's no longer a betterment of society once I announced it. I waited. I know the guy's not going to come. I know the person who lost this is done. If they didn't come for two years, I know for a fact, I could safely say, not for a fact, I could safely assume they're not going to come. However, according to Torah law, that's not the case. If we find silver or gold, and I announce it many times, it is forbidden forever. I have to leave it until Eliyahu comes. I have to leave it in my house. I cannot touch it, right? Why is gold and silver different? Because there, again, without getting all, all the laws of Bab Metziah, of Elam Metziah, but, but the law is that we, if we, it's an object where we could assume that a person did not relinquish hope. Okay, so let's just go with that as a possibility right now. We could, we could debate that, but let's, but let's assume that with a fancy gold or silver object, if you lose your, your you know, uh, a ring, you know, a wedding ring, right? You know, you could have lost it years ago. I'm always looking for it. I'm always like, maybe, uh, maybe, uh, whatever. You never really give up hope. So let's just assume, assume that to be the case. If that is, if it's an object where halakhically we assume there's no relinquishment of hope, mm-hmm. you are not allowed to ever use that item. Can I say something? Please. You want to turn off that you're taping this. I am taping it. I can't really stop it if you want to wait. because I'll just tell you briefly. So we were in Puerto Rico and my six-year-old daughter was standing in the water and out of the wave came a gold necklace Whew, on her okay. hand, wow. a heavy gold necklace, wow. and we took it, and we put signs, and, we, and nobody, so we kept it. Right, right. So it might be different again. Without getting, we could talk about some of the laws differently about, but whatever. But 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 
generally speaking, generally speaking, again, that if we, it would, it would be forbidden, right? Now, practically, right, so that, right and, and, and that's logical, right? And you, and you thought you were doing the best thing. And you were from a perspective of tikkun olam, from a perspective of social etiquette and protective, you know, you did what you can. You announced it and you get to keep it. From Jewish law, this would sit there. You know, we had objects in our, in our home, you know, and, and when we moved from Pickwick to, to our home, we had objects that we just like kept there. And finally, you know, there, there, there's, there's, you know, if it comes too much of a burden, you know, we actually have a list. My wife knows where it, I always forget where I put it. But a list of objects that we found and it just became too burdensome to, like, people leave things in our house when we have, like, events in our house or whatever it is. And people leave things all the time. So we have, like, a scarf and a this. And so we have, like, a list. At times we just, like, eventually got rid of it. We have a list. If someone comes to us, we'll owe them, we'll buy them a new thing. Whatever it is, it's on us. It's our responsibility. We have, we have full responsibility. It becomes our responsibility to ensure that it stays with us, right? Even though it could happen, it could be there for decades. I yes. So, so, for instance, um, I was by a friend in Israel and Christina, will you take this back for me to Baltimore? It had somebody's name in it. It was a sitter from somebody in Baltimore. And she goes, like, you know, I'll be Makayim, you know, Shabbos Aveda for this mm-hmm. lady. So I get back to Baltimore, I text this lady, I see her on Facebook, and I tell her I have her sitter. She goes, I've never been there. And I said, I have your sitter. She goes, can you send me a picture of it? I took a picture and I send it to her. She goes, I guess it is mine. Okay, when can I come over? And then she did come over and pick it up. But was my friend in Israel Machayev to send it back with me to... Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely, right? Yeah, she knows. it's been years, it's been many years. Yeah, absolutely, it's a beautiful example of, of real Hashavah Savedo, where you're really trying to figure out and find who this belongs to. Sometimes okay. it's not as simple, sometimes yeah. it's not a name in there, but uh, yeah. yeah, 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 absolutely, okay. absolutely. Yeah, so, okay, right? So now, so, so, so far we've now, so we've, yeah, so... Two good stories which illustrate those points, right? On the one hand, from a perspective, you know, you find an object swept up by the sea... Can I keep it? Can I not keep it? Again, these are, we're, we're, we're simplifying. We're not getting into the details of a Shavu It's very complex. Uh, but on the one hand, we'd say, again, from a perspective of social etiquette, I find an object, I could keep it. Halachically, though, again, broadly speaking, if it's something of value, maybe there wasn't Yush, I'd have to return it. Like that other story where you have someone, it's a sitter. It's not, a, you know, it's not as long as it's not like, Almost, almost valueless, right? When things are really like valueless, doesn't mean that you can't get like ten cents for it. But it's really, truly, what we would consider a value. But the sitter's not valueless; uh, worth a few dollars, you know. Um, so yeah, you'd have an ob- obligation to return. She did. She did the right thing. Okay. So, so, so far again, the two principles we saw that there's social etiquette. Social etiquette is the way that the world functions. Das hanimusis, and that's how most le- legal systems are predicate, built upon. And that is about how society functions. The focus is entirely about the betterment of society, not about what's intrinsically right. Whereas Judaism. Whereas the Torah focuses primarily, the, the first step is at what is, what is seicha, what is logic, what is intrinsically right. The examples that are easier for us, I think, to wrap our heads around are, again, like losach mode or saying something, thinking something, writing something, where it doesn't impact anyone, but lefiha seicha, according to logic, it would be problematic, right? So, um, so therefore, and again, even with hashavah savedim, with lost objects, the examples that he's giving, he's pointing out that while social etiquette would say, if I find something and I can know that there was yush, Right? It was something wasn't gold and silver. It was something cheaper. And I know there was Yish, and I find it. And I, and I, and I know there was Yish before, and the owner comes around a little later and says, hey, that's my object. Halachically, and we'll get to what you could or should do, but halachically, I don't, I'm not obligated to return it. Whereas if I find something very valuable and I announced it for years, I still, if it's an object where they didn't have Yish, I would. Now we have to understand, what's Yish? Like, what is this all about? And now he's going to say something beautiful. One more, one more, one more point. Uh, really amplifying the last point. We're in the middle paragraph on the second page. Okay. In the English, it's the last paragraph. Okay. Um, the words of sages are according to the Torah. All the words of Torah are cal- calibrated, calculated according to logic. 
And when it's true, when it's, what's, when it's philosophically or logically true, that is what is appropriate to be done. As the Torah said, You should safeguard, you should do, because it is your wisdom. The, he is understanding that verse to tell us that the laws of the Torah are predicated on wisdom, as opposed to because it's your society. It doesn't say do what's right because you want to help others. Again, as we'll see, that's certainly a value in Judaism. But the, if you want to say the foundation of Jewish law, he's suggesting over here is what he's going to call seicha. Okay? Okay, it's not social etiquette. When it comes to social etiquette, it is based upon, uh, you know, assessments, general assessments. And the Torah is entirely entirely logical. And Torah does not follow, I, I, wrote, I translated that reasoning, but that's not the right word. It doesn't follow like uh, looser assessments. Like, okay, well, you know, I announced it once or twice. Yeah, interpretation, like, and, 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 and assessments. Again, like your, your, the example you gave, like I announced it once or twice. I waited a while. I swept up in the water. Well, it makes sense, right? It makes sense. Like I, I did enough. Someone said, well, you should have done it a third time. You're like, well, what are you talking about? I, I did enough. You know, like, Maybe one time would have been enough, maybe two times would have been enough, whatever. Okay. It's so interesting that in this context, I know we don't want to go into Hashavah Nevida in detail, but it's so interesting with the example that he uses that we as Jews are obligated to do the Torah principle or the principle of the uh, Musim, whichever one is more stringent, right? If the Torah is more stringent, then that's the guy with the gold and silver goblet, and that is all permanently, he cannot use it. But what if it were a case where Min HaTorah, if it was Yehush, it was, right? So in that case, the, the Mus would say, no, we're still obligated to return it. So right. we're actually we're governed by both of them, and we need to do that which is most stringent in either one of them. If it's stringent according to Torah, yes, and also if it's stringent according to Mus, yes. Yes, and I would say... Torah obligation, when it comes to Nimus, I wouldn't say obligation, I'd say high value. And it's an important difference to make, which, which he's going to address at the end of the piece. But, but I, I, you know, it, we, we do have an obligation, which, which he's going to, we'll get there, we'll get there, but I, I do want to make that distinction. In other words, the Torah doesn't, you know, it doesn't obligate us. There might be, there, there's, there's high value and therefore strong, you know, we, we find this in a number of places in the Torah where we have things which are, there are, there's Torah law and then there's here, there's room for growth. For example, there's a general obligation, kedoshim to you. You should be holy. What does it mean to be holy? So the Ramban and others explain that means that there's, there's room for more. You know, in other words, there's room for some level of, of, of doing more, of abstaining from. In other words, a person could argue, listen, I could, I could live uh, an indulgent, uh, hedonistic life, black kosher, you know, wait six hours, eat milk and meat. I'm doing it all right but there's something wrong with hedonism, right? So it doesn't, the Torah doesn't calibrate where to draw the line in certain things, but gives us a general principle. And some of that's subjective, some of that's subjective. And strictly speaking, you know, um, we would say that one is uh, less obligatory in some respect than, than, the, um, than the other. Okay, okay. Now here he gives a philosophy of money, a philosophy of money. He says like this, and this, by the way, is I, I, I didn't have the, I should have spent a little more time researching, you know, how do we, you know, think, think for a second how, different societies perceive money differently. For example, a socialist or communist society, mm-hmm. their perception of, of the relationship between an individual and their belongings is clearly very different than ours. And historically, societies have taken different approaches. Um, you know, even our society, we don't say everything is entirely mine. We do believe that there are certain obligations, um, right? So there's a spectrum of views in terms of what my relationship is to my money, right? And so he's going to, so 
It would have been nice if I would have contrasted, I'm sorry, contrasted different viewpoints. But we know intuitively there are different viewpoints of, of a human's relationship to money. Here he's going to explain Judaism's perspective of, of the human's relationship to money. He says like this. Ubibnesha mamon shal adam eno etzem me'atzamo ubasar mibsaro. He's quoting a verse here from uh, when, when Chava was created. Right? Adam says, oh, behold, she is a bone of my bone. She is flesh of my flesh. Right? So he's saying money is not a bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. In other words, he's saying it's not an intrinsic part of who I am. It is an acquisition which is relevant to a person. Right? Big difference. One is this is me and one is this is something which is associated with me. Well, it is not my identity, correct? And you know the, the criti- famous critique uh, uh, against us Westerners, um, and that is that when we introduce, when we have a conversation with people, conver- exactly. Question number two is not, you know, tell me about yourself. It's like, what do you do, right? Because we define ourselves, you know, implicitly we define ourselves by our profession, and therefore also we define ourselves very much by our wealth, right? Our wealth is a part of who we are. The wealthiest person in the world. Right? Um, it's about, it's a part of my identity. Our wealth is, how much is this person worth? It's, it's part of their self-identity. What he's arguing for is, and some of this is going to be intuitive, but it, it, I think he spells it out very beautifully. He says, it's relevant to us, but it's not us. Ulefikach, therefore, kasher nevar hamamon mimenu, when money is lost from a person, she'ein hamamon birshuso, where the money is not in our possession, kikol aveda hamamon yotze mitach rishuso, because by definition, a lost object means that my money, it doesn't mean money literally, but my objects are not in my, my place. They're not, by lost means, it's not in my home right now. It's not in my backyard. So therefore, the, the possession, again, literally, he's using the word mamon, but, he, but it's a general term for my, my, my material possessions. It is not in my domain. And when I have yush, when I gave up hope on something, I also, what does it mean to give up hope? That means I stop thinking about it. Meaning my hope is saying, my, my brain, my mind is, I'm still looking for that ring. When I've given up hope, I'm saying, eh, it's done. Flows, flies away, right? Because the person gave up hope. So it's not only not in my physical possession, it's not in my heart, it's not in my mind, it's not in my me. I've now severed all possible connections to my, to my belongings. It's not in my physical possession. So it's not in my heart, it's not in my mind. And therefore, it's completely ownerless. Right? So do you see what he just did, right? This is, a, this is not the way we normally think, but he's suggesting a very logical you know, progression. And that is that money is not me. If it was me, then if we would say this is my identity, you, know, you can't steal my identity. You, know, you can't steal, like, and, and you know, there's a very inter- interesting discussion in Halakha about intellectual property, which we're not getting into right now. Like, how do you define, like, what's the relationship between my idea and me, okay? Fascinating discussion, right? But that is, that's a major debate still to this day in, in, in the legal system, right? It's my idea. Like, how do we define these things? How do we, it's not, it's not tangible. So at what point is it no longer, is it no longer mine? This is still a, a debate that's raging to, uh, on today. You know, there's so much, of, you know, so, so similarly, so his argument is that if it's something which is m- me, mamash me, it's really me, then no matter how far it is from me, from my physical body, it's still me. And therefore, if there was something which I would say is me, so again, let's just say, for argument's sake, my, let's say my ideas were me, right? So I stopped thinking about those ideas right now. I had an idea, I forgot about it, right? And now someone comes along, they, I told them this idea at a Shabbos table, and now they're running with it, right? So what, what do we say? If, if we were to say that ideas are, are truly a part of me, then we'd say even though I stopped thinking about it, and even though it's not tangible, and even though it's not physically in my property, it's still me, right? But money, he's saying, is not me. 
And therefore, if it's no longer in my property and it's no longer in my mind, it's nobody's. The money has lost its connection to me because it's not who I am. Whereas, let's say, potentially, my ideas or my, or as we'll see, perhaps my deeds, certain deeds, do become a part of my identity in Judaism, right? But his argument is that money is not part of my identity and therefore, it needs to have some chain, some connection, some line that attaches to it. And if that line is severed, either physically and emotionally, intellectually, it's not mine anymore, okay? So he's made the ruling that wealth, material goods, cannot be really thought of as property. Correct. Correct. Like it is a beautiful, yeah. So, it's so what, could you give me an example of something that's not with me, part of me, but that could be, I mean. So I use an idea. Right, your children, but we know they're not ours. Okay, but I think an idea would be a good example. Again, I, I can't speak a lot. I haven't, I haven't, I haven't reviewed. An invention, correct. Create, correct, but it's my. Exactly, exactly. Let's say, let's say I came up with a, with a, with a song, right? Again, intellectual property, right? Is it mine, right? So again, I, I'm not ruling halakhli, and so whoever's, just, I want to be clear. Like, I, I don't remember exactly where, but um, that would be an example where perhaps we would say, we could say, that's me, even though it's not in my physical body, and I may have forgotten to even wrote it, right? But it's still, it's mine, right? Even though it's not there. Whereas money, no, money is not me, and therefore, it stands outside of me, and therefore, when it doesn't have that connection, it's gone. Okay, so let's, read, let's turn the page. Ulekach, right? The first paragraph in the, in the, in the, sec, in the third page. Ulekach kasher misya'esh when a person gives up hope. Umotzi midate. And what that means practically is the money is no longer in their thoughts. Ain, excuse me, ain no, od maman shalom. It is no longer their money. Lekach amar. And that's why the halacha is. Shemhiniach libebeso. Let's say the opposite example. Let's say I lost something in my house. It happens, right? Visavr sha'avar. And I thought that I lost it, right? I thought that it's completely lost. And I've actually relinquished hope because I thought there's no way I'm going to find this again. And let's say you're cleaner, you know, it's before Pesach one year and someone's moving things around and they find, oh, look at this thing behind the couch. And they know and they told you, they gave up hope. So can I keep it? I can't. The finder can't keep it. Why? Because even though the hope was lost, Yush was there, but but it's still in my property and therefore it still has a relationship to me, right? So there's one of two strings. There's one of two connection points. One is my mind. The other is my property. And therefore one without the other, it's still connected to me. But if I lose both those connections, then the finder could keep it. And on the, in, the converse, if it goes out of my property, it's lost. And I did not relinquish hope. Shalom, the person not give hope. Harihu, Adain, can you know it is still my object? Umamono, Nechshavan is considered my property, my money. Velozacha, Bo, Hamotzi, Oso. And the person who found it um, is not able to keep it. Okay? Can you give an example? An example. So, so again, a, a ring with a, an engagement ring is a great example. There's a defining features to it. Um, it's it's very much there's a simon, right? So I lost this uh, person, lose their 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 engagement ring, right? So it's a, it's something of value. It's something with a simon. Um, so we could assume they didn't lose hope, right? Or the sitter. The sitter is a good example, right? It has a, it has an identifying symbol symbol, and therefore, even though in this particular example, it could be the person practically gave up hope. Right? It could be. But we don't actually look at that. What we do is what the whole Gemara, what much of the Gemara is doing is defining for us when we, what assumptions we should make. We, the finder, what assumptions should we make? If there's an identifying, identifiable mark, then we have to assume that the owner thought, hey, since I have an identifiable mark, hopefully someone will find it and return it to me. And therefore, even though practically maybe they didn't, 
Halacha is almost not in, worried about that because we, we make general principles and rules from that. So anything with an identifiable mark, typically, typically, you'd have an obligation to return. Typically. Okay. Good? Let's go a little further. Fikach Masha Amru. And therefore, let's just bring it back. That, that the Talmud said, Hamotzi Metziah, our sages said, a person finds an object, and the owners gave up hope. Okay, the owners gave up hope. Shalo, you keep it. That's according to logic. When you understand the concept of what money actually is or what objects really are, Shukinyan Levad, it's just an acquisition. It's just something connected to us. And therefore, in order for it to be still mine, my name, me, I have to be connected to it. Through that connection, that's what makes it mine. Oshu Bedaito. Either in my mind, my domain, again, as opposed to when it's no longer in my possession and no longer in my thoughts. And if so, how could they say? Now he goes on the offensive. This is classic. He's, he's, a, he's a good orator, a good uh, you know, writer. So until now, he's been defending. Now he turns the table. He says, How could you say? That, that the person who finds it would be obligated to return it after the relinquishment of hope? Because it's in truth. What is true? What is logical? That's what you should do. Even though the person who lost the object has lost out. Since it is true and it follows logic. Okay? Let's go a little further. Does that, does that mean that even a guy would have to return something? I, many years ago in my office, one of my clients, he, he was in the Bahamas or something like that. He and his wife were... Did he lose a heavy gold, uh, huh? a gold uh, bracelet in the water? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, she, <laughs> she lost her diamond ring. Diamond ring, I vey, okay. And she went and she asked the hotel manager, and the hotel manager, you know, you know, let, they left their name and everything like that. So this client came in to me in my office and said, you know, get a ruby ring and balanese, and, you know, make sure you give a lot of tzedakah, you know, for that. So he went and he did that, and like a month later, he gets a phone call. Um, and they find it. They found, they found this ring. Beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. Wow. Wow. But, Amazing. Um, Amazing. Then, like, always, yeah. That's so beautiful. Think, but is a, a guy obligated to return something like that? So, so. Even, to, you know, has identifying. Yeah. It's, know? I, well, it, it, it falls under the laws of dinim, of, of laws, mm-hmm. uh, which means that in every society there are a set of laws and every non-Jew is obligated to follow the laws of their society. I actually don't know what the laws are about finding lost objects. I once looked into, like, legally mm-hmm. what your obligation yeah, is. Um, but, yeah. I believe you do have to return things. I, I, I don't know exactly. I don't, I don't know the parameters, but there is yeah. some level of obligation of, yeah. of returning things, I believe. I believe. I'm not, I don't know. Someone, I'm not. You don't know who the person is. You have no idea. You find a diamond ring, you can just keep it like legally or I, it could be no one will prosecute you but wow beautiful 500 bucks no marks beautiful 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 okay so yeah i i, I don't know that it's a legal question meaning they, they non-jews are, are obligated meaning the torah goes again and, and this to, to your point earlier, you know, if there's a legal obligation, I might be obligated to do so, but we're, but, but, halacha, you know, well, so, but, but non-Jews have, as part of the Shiva Mitzvah, you know, as part of the seven Noahide laws, they're obligated to keep whatever the local law would be. So, whatever that would be. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. Afkinira. Afkinira. Kilafiha svaravadasni musiski ein ra'oi lasos davarzeh. Okay, I'm in the first Hebrew paragraph on the second to last page. Avkinir, even though it appears kilafi svara svara, according to logic, the dasini musis and, again, social etiquette. Ki ein ro'elas zavarzeh. 
um, even though it doesn't seem uh, logical, right? It doesn't, well, it doesn't seem like appropriate. We are created. We are created to do everything according to logic, meaning the goal of humankind is to live our life by internal truths, not just what's imposed upon us by society, not just do no harm, but also living according to an internal, intrinsic moral code independent of society. And if the per- and if the object did not leave a person, meaning there was no yush, imkain masai yatsamir shuso. At, at what point did it ever leave the person's possessions? Ulakach. We'll see what he's saying in a second. Let's say you find an object again, like a diamond ring, where we could assume the owners never gave up hope. Let's assume the owners never gave hope. Afila mm-hmm. even up to hundred years How do you have the right to touch it? And that's why you know people have you know a collection of things because. It's, it's completely inappropriate. Even though, again, socially, who cares? I, I did my part. It doesn't matter. The point is that it's still connected to the person. They're still thinking about it. I can't touch it. It's like, it's like walking over to you and taking your purse. How can I do such a thing? But how can a person be so connected to their stuff if they're not allowed to be connected to their stuff so much? Okay, good, good. So there, there is this balancing. So it's, it's interesting to say. Let, let's read on. I think he's going to address that sort of in a, in a second, in a second. Umizen nilmod. And here he now, it, typically this book is not really a book of morality, but now he makes the obvious point, which has been implicit in everything we've been saying. Umizen nilmod inyan hamamon umadrigaso. And from here, from this law, it's not just that he's now explained to us uh, the, the logic behind the law itself, but he says now we can understand the, the value of, of possessions. It's critical that we do not treat our possessions like our, uh, like our body, like our soul. What they say? Who is the, there's a famous actress, not known for her, uh, not known as like a thinker. Who is it? Uh, uh, Taylor, uh, Elizabeth Taylor was once robbed and she uh, allegedly said, she said, they said, are you sad? She said, I don't cry for things that don't cry for me. That's a nice line, right? I don't know if she really said that. That's why I saw it quoted. Uh, but, but, but yeah, it's not our body. It's not our soul. It's not a person. It's not a thing. It's not, it's not, it's not, it's not, it's not us. Shari Kasher. Shakespeare said it too. Did he? He, steals, he who steals my purse steals trash. But he who like, takes away from my ineffable name, my reputation, mm-hmm. steals that which is Beautiful, valuable. beautiful, beautiful. That's Excellent. Exactly. Excellent. Okay, better than, yeah, good. You could have fooled me. Shari Kasher Eno Ima Adam. If it's not with me, I have no connection to it. And therefore, when a person leaves this world, as we all do, and our money is not like in our back pocket, okay? Our silver and gold obviously do not go along with us. But Torah, good deeds, they do escort us. Even though they are actions, and therefore we say, what do you mean? It's, it's history. It's past. No. They, they impact us. They change us. They transform us. Those actions, those good deeds, our, our connection to God, our connection to, our connection to mitzvos, there are things which change us and they become a part of our identity and they stick with us. So when thinking about, you know, money, thinking about deeds, you know, you got to put that into the proper equation. And now he says, if the law was, had the law been different, that when a person has no connection, you lose an object, and you stop thinking about it, that you'd still, have, still be considered mine, even though I lost hope, and even though it's no longer my possession, a person would elevate the value of wealth, right? So, and therefore, from these laws, we are meant to extrapolate, we're meant to understand the ranking of money, and so we shouldn't be fools. 
Okay, don't be a fool. That, that's, that's his uh, argument. So, so yeah, and you're right, um, uh, Rachel, that, that, that in theory, a person, you know, even when a person loses an object, there's something about that that, okay, maybe they should have given up hope. But, you know, the Torah, there's this calibration, meaning the Torah, that, that's, that's already a, 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 a directive. The Torah is dealing with our reality. Our reality is if something is valuable and something is, I, I believe I can, can be connected to it, then human nature will dictate I haven't given up hope. It's, it's pre- the whole notion of year, the, the laws are based on seichel, but the notion of when a person forgives up hope or when a person doesn't, that's predicated on human nature. So the Torah is not going to, the right? Torah says, okay, this is human nature, and therefore seichel will tell you X, Y, or Z. So he says, had the laws of, 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 of lost objects been different, then it would have actually gotten to the way of our understanding of money. It would have told us of the wrong message that money is more important than it's not. And therefore, when we lose it, we say, if, if it's not with me and I'm not thinking about it, it's not me. Right? And therefore, it helps us understand the value or the lack of value. Not, not that it's valueless, of course. Okay. Now, the last paragraph, and this goes back to what was brought up earlier uh, by Jonathan. Vim Yomar Adam. If a person says, Desov sof, at the end of the day, isn't it fit, isn't it appropriate to go ahead and return the object? So that there's no damage to my friend. My friend comes running over. He says, but, but it's mine. But it's mine. I say, well, Seichel says, logic says, it's not yours. It's not right. It's hurting the person. It's damaging the person. Our sages in Bav Mitzio said that. They said in a scenario where even after Yush, someone comes and says, hey, it's my object. And you know it's their object. You trust that whatever it is, you know it's their object. You should. Again, not mechuyav. You're not obligated because the chiyuvim, the obligations come from logic, but there's value in doing so, right? Why? Even after you gave up hope, not because of an obligation, again, logic, and it's subsequent, and it's the outgrowth of the logic, which is the, the, the obligations. There is none. Kimoshi Spar, as we explained, but from the perspective of kindness, and kindness is a value, a value which we embrace and elevate. There should, you should return it. And when you bridge these two things together, you see the beauty and the totality and the completion, perfection of the Torah. On the one hand, the Torah is filled with laws which tell us, which calibrate exactly how we should live internally, intrinsically, what it means to live a true life, a, 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 a intrinsically good life. And at the same time, through the narratives of the Torah and through some of the general directives, the Torah encourages us and tells us how it's important to be kind and to be good and don't always be so exacting. Not that you're obligated to do so, but there's room. It's important to find space for chesed and therefore to go above and beyond. What should be done through the attributes of kindness. Yes, exactly, exactly, exactly. Okay, so in summary, right, it's a beautiful, short, but beautiful piece. Um, you know, I was, I was thinking initially we should go further. I was like, no, this piece, we want to sit on this piece. What a, what a gorgeous, elegant piece. And he says, you should seem so backward. Why are we not, the guy's standing here. I know it's his. I don't have to return it. Yeah, because the Torah is a Torah of Seichel logic. He explains to us the beauty of the, of the logic. Uh, and then it also helps us understand our relationship to money, which is lower than other things, which are really ours. Um, and, but nonetheless, even though there's logic, it doesn't preclude chesed and we have to be able to bridge the two together to find the beautiful balance between the both and through that we live a perfect Torah life which ensures both a good society but also, also people who are true and good through and through even when no one else is around. I have a story.